Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. Before we get started today, I have a few announcements. First, we're currently accepting applications for our fall production internship. This is a chance to work one-on-one with me to develop your audio production and editorial skills. You can find all the details about the internship and how to apply on our website, outtherepodcast.com, and applications are due August 30th. Second, I'd like to let you know about another podcast you might enjoy. From Gen Z Media, the Peabody Award-winning producers behind hit podcasts like Six Minutes and The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel, comes Becoming Mother Nature. When Chloe is sent off to live with her mysterious and eccentric grandmother, she learns an unbelievable secret. Grandma Ivy is none other than Mother Nature herself and Chloe is next in line to assume the power and responsibility of the job. Can a 12-year-old learn to balance the entire world's ecosystem while just trying to fit in at her new school? Only Mother Nature knows. You can listen to Becoming Mother Nature wherever you get your podcasts. Support for Out There comes from Sawyer, maker of water filters, bug repellent, and other products that keep you safe outdoors. Sawyer sent me one of their gravity water filters to try out, and I've used it on my last few backpacking trips. The way it works is you have a big water reservoir that you fill up from a lake or a stream, and then you hang that in a tree and attach the filter to it. Gravity causes the water to flow down through the filter and into your water bottles. The Sawyer filter is small and lightweight, and one of the things I really like about it is that you don't have to crouch awkwardly by a water source to filter your water. Instead, you just fill up the reservoir, and then you can sit somewhere comfy while your gear does the work for you. For 25% off your order at SawyerSafeTravel.com, enter the promo code OTPOD25 at checkout. That's SawyerSafeTravel.com. Promo code OTPOD25. I see how well coral reefs can function through diversity. Every individual, from small crabs to the giant whale sharks that randomly pass by, that you have a role to play and that your role actually can benefit other people. I think if it works so well in the wild, it would do wonders if we applied it to our very own lives. That's Colin Howe. Colin is a marine biologist. He studies corals. And in his line of work, one concept keeps coming up over and over. The concept that if you want a healthy ecosystem, diversity is vital which got Colin thinking about ocean diversity as a kind of metaphor for our own society. Colin is black, and that makes him an outlier in his field. Marine biology tends to be very white, and not just marine biology. Black people are underrepresented in the sciences in general. 
According to the National Science Foundation, less than 5% of scientists and engineers in the U.S. are Black. So why is there this disconnect? And why should we strive for greater diversity? On this episode, Colin joins us to talk about his experiences being one of the only Black people in his field and about what oceans can teach us about the benefits of diversity. Colin's love for oceans started when he was a little kid. His grandmother lived in the Caribbean, and he has many fond memories of visiting her with his family. But what really got him hooked was his first scuba diving trip. So my, um, you know, my father was in the Air Force. He was in the military. We're a military family. We traveled a lot. And we were stationed in Japan for about four years. And while we were in that part of the world, as a family, we took a trip down to Australia for a couple weeks. And I'm proud to say I saved up my money. I got my grass cutting money and I paid for my first ever DSD or Discover, Discover Scuba Dive. It was off the northern part of the Great Barrier Reef near a place called Canes, I think is how you pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, we took a boat out there and there's this platform and you dive off this platform that's out there and you hop in and whoosh, it's just an explosion of fish. And I use that word. It's just like so much life. I've never seen that before. And I think that right there was basically what kind of made my mind up. I was like, yep, this is it. Marine science. I want to do this. This is what I'm, this is what my passion is going to be from now on. Did you have a favorite museum as a kid? I picture you as like a natural history museum kind of uh, yes. kind of little, little kid. <laughs> with the with the giant elephant in the front and they had <laughs> they have different, you know, uh, areas. There was one for like gems, there was one for the ocean. That was my favorite part. They had this massive whale skeleton hanging from this from the roof, you know. So I I used to go there back in the early 90s when I was a small kid and it's still there. It's just uh we would spend hours as a family, you know, we were, my dad was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base, where Air Force One is also kept. And so it was really close. We were really close to the Smithsonian. We would go there as a family all the time. So I want to talk a little bit about diversity in your field or lack thereof um yeah how many other black marine biologists would you say you've encountered in your career hmm encountered less than five wow for sure you know there aren't a lot of african-american or black people in the marine science scape Unfortunately. How does it make you feel working in a field that is so white? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've grappled with that question. Um, you know, honestly, it feels weird. You know, when I, as I come into work and I look around, you know, I'm the only black guy in lab. I ask myself, why me? 
which then immediately goes into a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, what did I do? Like, <laughs> like, how did I get here? But then I rationalize it by thinking, you know, I worked hard. Like I really, my parents wouldn't let, was sinful, nothing less. Like I really worked hard and I really pushed myself and I was very motivated to try to build a career. And so I think that's why I'm here. But I do think that there are a lot of unseen hurdles that black people in particular face, you know, people of color in general, and why you don't see a lot of us here in the marine science, you know, profession. I will say, I have always been in an environment where people are welcoming and encouraging and supportive through all of the nonprofits and the internships and the grad schools and education and state government work, you know, that's really been very welcoming. But you do get a sense of people watching you. Mm. Because you are the only black guy in the room. And no matter what you do, you are noticeable. At a conference, you know, I've been at conferences where there's, you know, hundreds of people and people will point me out. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll interact with me at, briefly at a conference, and then years later, they'll still remember who I am. You know, even though our interaction was very brief, and I, and I get that from time to time, where people will come who I may have met very briefly, and I just can't remember who they are, but they never forget me. They're like, "Oh yeah, I remember you. You were at this place," and that kind of makes me feel like I'm under a spotlight at times. And that I have to be very careful about how I act, how I think. Mm. But that's, you know, kind of light, you know. It sounds kind of exhausting, though. It can be. There's a lot of high expectations. Oddly enough, you know, what's even, I get more looks when I'm outside of work. Because Florida Fish and Wildlife here in the Florida Keys is a state agency, but it's a law enforcement agency. There's actually like police officers who patrol the waters and make sure that you know, people are fishing um, within the limits. But then our, our uniforms, if you will, have FWC all over it. And so people assume I'm a cop. And it's weird. You'll see people turn their heads when I walk into a grocery store or if I walk into any public space and I'm wearing my uniform people kind of take a second look at me because it maybe how I interpret it is it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, wait a minute, who's this guy? And oftentimes they think I'm a police officer and I have to correct them. I'm like, no, I'm not a, I'm not an officer. I'm a marine biologist. I work for the state of Florida. You know, we do coral surveys. We don't issue tickets. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to catch you doing something wrong here. <laughs> right. Yes. We're but I, I don't understand. That's something that I've always been kind of, I've noticed is that I get weird looks when I wear that uniform. Do you remember the first time you met another marine scientist who was a person of color? I do. I actually tried to apply for him. Uh, I tried to apply to grad school with him. His name is Carl Castillo and he is an amazing professor. He's actually originally from Belize. And so he's not only one of the first black professors, like he's a full-time professor, has his PhD, teaches grad students. And I met him at the Benthic Ecology Conference and I was kind of awestruck. And I was very immediately curious about his story. 
And then the more I learned about his story, and I think that's kind of similar to a lot of other role models, African-American role models leading, you know, in their fields, you find similarities. Like he's from the Caribbean and, you know, my family's also from the Caribbean. And I assume he has experienced a lot of similar things, you know, coming to the States. And yet, despite all of those disparities, he was still able to land a professor, you know, position full time which are extremely competitive, you know, faculty, faculty, full-time faculty positions are extremely competitive, especially among PhD students. There's so many of us. And so seeing him was like, okay, if he can do it, you know, maybe, maybe there's a shot for me and maybe I could work with him. You know, I actually ended up deciding to do my master's elsewhere. That was, um, but it was still kind of a, I always remember that moment bumping into him at the conference. <laughs> well, and this brings up, this sort of leads into what I wanted to talk about next, which is this question of why there are so few people of color, not just in, in marine sciences, but in STEM fields altogether. Um, and, I mean, it, 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 it sounds like you didn't have any black role models initially in your field no you're right do you think that may makes a difference um for me it did not because i did have role models you know they weren't black and i think that would have made that might have um you know facilitated me to take an, uh, actions earlier or to maybe go through this with less imposter syndrome, right? Like thinking like I don't belong or don't, you know, thinking that I don't deserve to be here. But I, I have been very lucky to meet several professors who've taken an enormous amount of attention and focus to help me. Mm. But I do think that there are several reasons why we don't see a lot of black people in marine science and in STEM fields in general. The biggest issue and something that I think my parents really set me up for the best was how competitive it would be. You know, early on, my parents emphasized strong education. You know, we education was very key. And then when I was in college, I really took advantage of a lot of opportunities, uh, which made me uh, very competitive. I was able to afford to get scuba certified. I was able to afford to buy my own dive gear. And I think that these are added expectations on some on a career within marine science that just kind of passed the bar for some people. It's just we are living in an age where so many people of color, black people are on the verge of poverty. They're right there. And so I think it's too extreme to expect them to take time off to do like an internship. My internship, I was paying three hundred dollars a month and I was working for free. You were you know, paying to really... have this internship? Yes. Well, so the, the $300 was for housing. Okay. But the internship that I, they provided housing. And that at the time, you know, I applied to multiple internships and I got accepted to two of them. And I basically chose one that offered housing because the other one did not. And at that time, back in 2013, housing in the Florida Keys <laughs> for a 24-year-old, that's impossible to <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> So I, you know, they, I paid $300 a month and I worked for free. 
I learned a lot. You know, I gained, you know, experience doing research. I gained experience talking to people and educating people and doing outreach. I gained experience diving and scuba diving and, you know, learning my fish, learning, you know, coral reef ecology. But I think that I was able to participate in that because my because of the lifestyle my parents provided. I think that we really need to address the disparities that so many black people face if we want to see more interest in marine science because it's so competitive and it's low paying. Majority of the cases. Another reason why I think not a lot of black people are in marine science or STEM in general is because they don't really earn a high salary. So the low salary also transitions to one of the cultural reasons why I think a lot of there are not a lot of black people in marine science. And I personally have experienced this being a child of immigrants. You know, my parents came to the States and they they decided to choose professions that made financial sense. You know, my dad was in the medical field. He worked uh, in the hospitals for over 30 years. My mother went into accounting. She's great with numbers. And so they both went into fields that made lucrative sense. And they actually were very kind of hesitant when I came to them and said, hey, I want to be a marine biologist. I actually had to convince them. They were not very eager <laughs> or happy or I guess excited to hear that I wanted to, you know, do to focus on marine science because it didn't make financial sense. Mm. You know, it was no guarantee I was going to be able to earn a paycheck that I could put a roof over my head and provide for a family and that kind of thing. And, and that makes sense. You know, immigrants and people of color who work themselves out of poverty and, and they, they provide a livelihood for their kids, I think that they have a valid assessment before, you know, with their kids. They have an expectation to put on their kids like, hey, we, this is a rare opportunity. You need to take, make it the most of it. And so there might be kind of a persuasion away from uh, marine science. So one of the things that really made me want to interview you was something you talked about on World Oceans Day, um, <laughs> where you said, no, I mean, I, it sticks with me because you said, you said that oceans teach us how important diversity is. And I just thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to to talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Um, and 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 maybe to to get into that, um, tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing with corals. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, it's easy to see. There are so many examples that we can see in the wild of where diversity, having a wide assortment of different species and animals all playing their own role, can benefit the ecosystem as a whole. And I think that there is something that we can take from that and apply to our very lives. And there are actually some examples and scenarios where that has actually happened. And indeed, it's been a part of my research and kind of part of my career and experience. I was able to study a really interesting coral called Acropora polyphora, or fused staghorn corals. 
and polyphora is what I like to call it. That's the species or the taxon name. It's actually not a species, but this is a hybrid coral between two critically endangered species in the Caribbean, staghorn and elkhorn corals. They were widespread in the early 80s, and we've seen like a 95% decline in those two species throughout the Caribbean, not just in certain regions, everywhere. 95% decline. Over, yeah. It's, it was one of the most dramatic. There are photos, you can see photos of thickets, massive, huge, forest-like structures of live coral built between these two species, and they were both, due to a number of compounding stressors, they were wiped out. But what's interesting, their decline opened up some space, and we started to see an increase in this hybrid coral, this hybrid uh, uh, taxa called Acropora polyphora. But basically my question was, um, how viable is this coral hybrid? Mm. We're seeing a decline in the parental species, and with any hybrid animal, there's always a question of, you know, how well can it survive in the wild? It's called hybrid viability. Right. So there's certain genetic combinations between two different species. So let's say a horse and a mule and a donkey reproduce, you get a mule. But a mule cannot reproduce. And so that's a genetic incompatibility. So we are curious if we could see an example of that in polyphora. And it was a very simple experiment. We just I uh, fragmented a bunch of fragments, took them out of the water. I found a small island on the north side of St. Thomas and I collected a bunch of different colonies, and I took them up on a boat and drove them to the south side of the, of the island and put them out in a shallow reef where there were other polyphora colonies. I sampled those populations as a control, and I compared growth rates between the control and the transplanting group. How well did this transplanting group handle being clipped you know, from a colony, taken up out of the water onto a boat, transported to a completely different place, put down on the, on the substrate right next to uh, colonies that hadn't gone through that ex that experience, and how well did they do? And what did you find? Yeah, so we found no differences between transplanted groups and the natal population. These corals are actually very viable. So, how does how does your work with corals illustrate the importance of? diversity in ocean ecosystems? Yeah, that's a great question. And diversity is critical in light of environmental or environmental or ecological stressors. So let's say you have a, a bleaching event. Having multiple species of coral is vital because that bleaching event might bleach all of them. Not all the bleach, not all corals will bleach. Some of them might. Some of them will die but not all of them will. And that's kind of how the resiliency is baked into all of this, right? Where you have a wide range of individuals, of species of coral, and that can be seen throughout any kingdom. If you look at plants, if you look at algae, if you look at invertebrates like mollusks and lobsters and octopus, having diversity is key if you want a healthy and functioning ecosystem. We as marine biologists actually use diversity as a metric for health. So if we're going out to a coral reef and we see a wide diversity of parrotfish, right, that do a great job of eating algae out on the reef, 
we see a wide variety of predators. Predators are very important for an ecosystem. So seeing groupers and snappers and jacks and sharks are a sign that the ecosystems are healthy. If there is a disease, and right now, unfortunately, we are seeing a catastrophic coral disease that is spreaded throughout the Florida Keys. And my role with FWC and the state of Florida was directly addressed at this outbreak of what is called stony coral tissue loss disease, or SCTLD. You guys really love your acronyms, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the ABC Wars. It's fun. Right? We always have our little... <laughs> um, yeah, so this disease does affect a wide variety of species. So it started in 2014 off the coast of Miami, and it's been slowly uh, moving south throughout the years. And with a span of five years, you know, 2014 until the present, it has basically crossed the entire Florida Keys reef tract. It's really just kind of sad and, and I'm at a loss for words. You'll see a coral that took six, 700 years to grow and then slowly watch it die within several months, you know, two, three months. This massive brain coral is dead. You could see the tissue just kind of um, floats away. Um, and so <clears throat> it's like, it's, <laughs> it's so sad. Like it, you know, we marine scientists, when we see this, it really is, it's heartbreaking. After the break, we're going to discuss what ocean diversity can teach us about our own society. But first... Support for Out There comes from Renogy, a renewable energy company that makes solar products for your home, business, RV, and more. So I have to admit that when I think of solar panels, I generally assume they're going to be expensive. But that's not necessarily the case, especially if you're just looking for, you know, something to keep you powered up while you're out camping. For example, Renogy has a portable solar panel that's about the size of a tablet, and it costs less than $25. It's compatible with any USB device, and it comes with a variety of different mounting options, so you can clip it to your backpack or hang it in a window or whatever is most convenient. For 10% off your order at Renogy.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com promo code out there. Support for this episode also comes from BetterHelp. I think it's safe to say that this pandemic is a stressful time for all of us. And when we're trying to navigate emotional turmoil, it can be a game changer to get professional counseling. BetterHelp offers affordable online counseling to clients all over the world. When you sign up, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. You can communicate with your therapist online, over the phone, or even by text, whatever works best for you. BetterHelp services are more affordable than traditional in-person counseling, and financial aid is available. In a time when in-person meetings are really difficult to arrange, 
online counseling makes more sense than ever. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. For 10% off your first month of counseling, just go to betterhelp.com slash out there. That's betterhelp.com slash out there. And now back to our conversation with Colin Howe. We're going to talk about a project that is providing a ray of hope for the coral reefs that are being devastated by disease. And we're going to talk about what we as humans can learn from ocean diversity and how we might be able to apply it to our own society. First, the ray of hope. It comes in the form of something called coral restoration. In a nutshell, coral restoration is an effort to save endangered corals from dying off. The process involves taking the corals out of the places where they're struggling, putting them into a safe environment while the disease runs its course, and then reintroducing them back into their natural habitat. It's a massive undertaking, and it involves collaboration from a wide array of entities, from scientists to government agencies to zoos and aquariums. And Colin has been intimately involved. So our role is to travel to the furthest extents of where the disease uh, margins were, and we'll select a wide range of species. And that's important. We're trying to identify not just one, but a host of different coral species. And we've, we've prioritized the species that are highly affected by this disease. And so species that are highly susceptible, we've selected those and placed an emphasis on those. And we'll go out to the reef and we'll be very careful in selecting the healthiest colonies that we know are going to survive their upcoming trip because <laughs> they're in for a ride. <laughs> and so once we select these corals, we build, bring them back on this this 88-foot liveaboard called the Makai. We've built life support systems for them on the boat so they have fresh seawater that is circulating with pumps and bubblers constantly. They're constantly being checked on. You know, it's a really it's a 24-hour uh, day job. And eventually, the corals are brought back to shore and sent off to zoos and aquariums. The zoos and aquariums, in turn, provide a long-term home for the corals. And they provide all sorts of fancy medical care. And they have their own experts and coral veterinarians, believe it or not, they're coral veterinarians. <laughs> and they will uh, receive our corals. We actually ship them by plane. And we've shipped them to states across the country, Colorado, Texas, Georgia, everywhere. It's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. It's exciting to think that you can ship corals to Colorado <laughs> and yeah, they'll not, be fine. It's you not know? where you would think of as, you know, like a place that you would find corals. <laughs> no, yeah. But it's amazing because that also, again, like, I really encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast to check uh, check out these corals. There are corals throughout the nation that you can see Caribbean corals that are that have been hand selected from the coral uh, from the Florida Keys and are now in their new home to be cared for and managed while this disease progresses. Right. So we are seeing this disease kind of pass through. And so the idea is to select a wide range of individuals and coral species 
incorporate them within aquarium settings and uh, animal husbandry care for an extended period of time. And then once we start to see conditions improve, then here's that restoration component again. The final phase of this project is going to be reintroducing these rescued corals back to the wild. So what can ocean diversity teach us about our own society in regards to diversity? You know, as I see the world through a marine science lens, I see how well coral reefs can function through diversity, right? As a coral ecologist and as other marine biologists can tell you, they part of the beauty is identifying how beautifully every animal kind of directly or indirectly benefits another. And you start to realize that every individual from small crabs to the giant whale sharks that randomly pass by that you have a role to play and that your role actually can benefit other people. I think, you know, we see how beautifully that works in the wild and how vital we're trying to hold on to that. You know, we're trying to protect that amount of diversity. I think if it works so well in the wild, it would do wonders if we applied it to our very own lives. Right now, unfortunately, you know, it's been difficult within the past couple of months with the pandemic and this outpour of support for Black Lives Matter and the Black community and people of color and gay rights. There are so many things that have really forced us to kind of become polarized. And it's hard to kind of find an agreement. We need to kind of incorporate diversity. We need to incorporate ideas and perspectives from both sides of the spectrum. Diversify our conversations. I think having uh, conversations with a group of people who are distinctly different from you, different from your experiences and what you've seen in life, I think can have a profound effect and really benefit other, uh, us as a whole, as a nation. And so as we see in the marine science realm where you know, coral reefs are just this explosion and high concentration of life and vibrance and community and a lot of productivity. I think we would be surprised if we were able to apply those lessons of diversity and including people with different perspectives to the table and having a conversation that we'll be able to come up with innovative and proactive steps to address a lot of the issues we're facing right now. What would you like to say if there are young people of color listening to this podcast right now who might be interested in a career in science? What would you like to say to them? Don't give up. <laughs> I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. You have to persevere. And I was very fortunate to throughout my career to meet so many really passionate and caring professors and mentors and 
I would tell young people that if you're interested in pursuing a career in marine science, talk to the people who already have those positions. Talk to professors, talk to nonprofit leaders, volunteer at nonprofits, you know, volunteer in the local nonprofits in your community. Don't let your peers ridicule you or uh, make fun of your interests, even though they may not be as popular as something else. Like that was something that I went through. You know, I, when I came back from Japan and got to high school, it was a culture shock. And the things that I was very interested in and very excited about was not very popular. And that was kind of, that made me feel lonely because I didn't feel like I fit in. Uh, you know, I didn't know whose latest album came out. I didn't have the latest shoes. I wasn't very good at basketball. I could play football and soccer. You know, I like soccer, which was kind of also weird for them. They're like, whoa, this black dude likes soccer. Like, why is that? And so I think uh, if you're a young black kid who is very interested in marine science, don't let others discourage you from following your passion and what makes you happy. You know, if you get the opportunity, go to the aquariums, check out corals, talk to the marine biologists that are out there, do some homework and identify what uh, options, what resources, scholarships and uh, workshops are available for you and don't give up. Well, Colin, thank you so much for for talking with me today. Yeah, this was great. Colin Howe is a marine biologist. He had been working for Florida Fish and Wildlife, and he's now a Ph.D. student at Penn State. If you'd like to see some of his beautiful ocean photos and videos, you can follow him on Instagram at Marine Sci for Life. Special thanks to Tiffany Duong for suggesting that we interview Colin. So I have a little treat for you before you go. A few weeks ago, we aired a conversation with Ron Griswell. Ron is an outdoor adventurer, and he started an initiative called HBCUs Outside, which is focused on getting more students of color outdoors. One of the things I talked about with him was the concept of black joy. Black joy is something he mentions a lot on his Instagram feed, but when I asked him what it meant to him, he had to think about it for a while. Hmm, What does black joy mean to me? God, you know, these things seem so simple until you are asked about them. <laughs> and it's like, wow. <laughs> um, to me, uh, black, black joy is almost like a, a freedom in the sense that it's, it's the freedom of being and feeling and, and being in, I don't want to say happiness, and I don't have another word to describe joy, but <laughs> that's just what it is. Uh, just being in that joy when so many times you see black men portrayed in negative ways, you know, thug or gangster or all these negative connotations that the media will, will portray uh, black men in so often. 
And so, you know, black joy for me to to show my happiness and my my freedom and my wildness. I want to combat those stereotypes. But then there's also the black joy of showing other black people and black men like you can you can feel this way. You can you can have this happiness and you don't necessarily have to show yourself depicted in this toxic light. At the end of our interview, Ron mentioned to me that he's curious how other people define Black joy. So we put the question to you, and we got some beautiful responses. I'd like to share a few excerpts with you now. Black joy to me is the freedom to breathe, the freedom to inhale and exhale our emotions freely Sometimes joy can feel like rage. Sometimes joy can feel like anger. Sometimes it can feel like happiness. Sometimes it can feel like liberation. But to me, black joy is the expression of a freedom of emotions that our ancestors fought so hard for us to have and a hope that we have for those that come after us. Black joy is family reunions, art, culture, music, collard greens. Black joy is how many of our ancestors have have gotten through some of the worst things. And we should never forget that, but we should also be happy simply finding joy in who we are, what we are, where we are, regardless of what's going on around us. Black joy to me is watching black people slide across waves and being surfers. The feeling of the ocean and the wind in your hair and salt water in your face and knowing that you can do something that people said you could never do. Black joy for me is happiness. Black joy is feeling every emotion and not having to be muted. It's exhilaration, it's levity. Black joy is going for a great hike with friends, laughing the entire time. Black joy is feeling the sun on the beach, floating in the ocean. Black joy is going for a 14 mile run and enjoying every stride and not worrying about what could happen. Black joy is liberation for me. It's not being tethered to white supremacy. It's not being bogged down. Leaning into black joy means freedom for me. It means being your unfiltered self. Voices you just heard were Alex Bailey, the founder of Black Outside Inc., Ashley White, one of our very own out there ambassadors, Rhonda Harper, the founder of Black Girls Surf, and Tariq Rashid, production coordinator of the Outside Voices podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who sent us voice messages with your take on Black Joy. It was an inspiration to go through them all. 
A quick reminder that if you're interested in our fall production internship, applications are due August 30th. You can find all the details at our website, outtherepodcast.com. Support for Out There comes from Kula Cloth, a high-tech pee cloth for women and anyone who squats when they pee. You can take your Kula Cloth with you on all of your outdoor adventures so you don't have to use toilet paper for number one. If you're skeptical about the idea of a pea cloth, don't worry. They are not gross. I used a pea cloth for my entire thru-hike of the Colorado Trail several years ago, and I continue to use them whenever I'm out hiking or biking or rock climbing. I even use a Kula cloth at home now, and it's amazing how much it cuts down on my toilet paper consumption. For 15% off your order at kulacloth.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE2 at checkout. That's K-U-L-A cloth.com, promo code OUTTHERE2. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Our interns are Aja Simpson, Kara Schaefer, and Natalia Luderman. Our ambassadors are Tiffany Duong, Ashley White, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>